good to see all of you here this morning. And uh, as we've had these last few weeks, have been looking at passages of Scripture that remind us and teach us and explain to us all of the details of the birth of Jesus and the thoughts and emotions that we sort of hopefully can get wrapped up in, no pun intended, the, the joy of Christmas and the gift that God gives back to us in the birth of His Son. And so if you would, take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 2 this morning as we look specifically at the birth of the Lord Jesus this morning and see the gift of Christmas is the gift of Jesus. God has given us so many different gifts in this one story, this one account, this narrative of the birth of His Son. And we see so many things that God has packaged in this gift of Christmas. And today we see that the greatest gift of all, the most important gift is the gift of His Son, Jesus Christ. It's just like the worship team was just singing when they sang about Hark the Herald Angels Sing. That's one of my favorite Christmas songs and kind of reminds me of a little girl who was singing in church and certainly wasn't on a worship team, but just there standing next to her mom, she began to sing Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And instead of saying with the angels or with angelic host proclaim, instead she said with the jelly toast proclaim. Now, whatever your motivation is to proclaim the name of Jesus, whether it's to be an angel or because you have jelly toast in your hand, either way, the most important thing that we can do as a church, the most important thing that you can do as a family, the most important thing that we can do as a Christian is to proclaim the name of Jesus, and especially during this time of Christmas. Because what we fail to realize and perhaps we take for granted because we come into this place and we sing songs and we hear messages from the Gospel of Luke and we are just in the Christmas spirit, we forget so many times that when we walk out these doors that there is a world that is literally wrapped up in themselves. They are wrapped up in other traditions. They're wrapped up in other thoughts and their minds are not set on Jesus Christ, God's one and only Son, And certainly that's not the meaning for why they celebrate Christmas. It's that much more important. That with the angelic host, we proclaim the name of Jesus. That no matter what we do, what our tradition holds, what kinds of gatherings we have, or what our family consists of, we need to make sure that from our mouth and in our life that people hear the name of Jesus. That He is the reason for our celebration and He is the greatest gift that has ever been given. That's what we see in Luke chapter 2. And I pray that as we leave here today, that that's what people see in your life. The gift of Jesus Christ wrapped up in you as a gift and a present to the world. If you're able to, would you stand as we read this text of Scripture together in honor of God's Word today? Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1 through verse 14. The Bible says that in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up to his own town to from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, 
to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in the manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. Let's pray together. Fathers, we hear from Your Word today and we begin to understand even better and deepen our appreciation for the gift of Christmas, the gift of Your one and only Son. I pray, Heavenly Father, that Your Holy Spirit would move in our hearts today, would open our minds to hear from You. And God would challenge our lives and our families and certainly our church to be on mission with You to make sure that the name of Jesus is proclaimed. That people see Jesus in us. And God, that You are living out Your life and Your will and Your plan and purpose through each and every one of us. God, thank You for this time together in Your Word and we pray that You would give us ears to hear and a heart that's eager to respond. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. How do we celebrate the gift of Jesus? And how do we make sure that other people see Jesus in us? How is it that we can proclaim His name? I mean, we're not very angelic, many of us. We certainly don't appear in the sky and speak to people in some loud angelic voice. We're just normal, ordinary people. How do we take the name of Jesus with us and live in such a way that people know that there is something extraordinary about God's one and only Son living within us? Well, the two ways in which we can learn to do that today through this text of Scripture, the very first one tells us that we need to recognize that Jesus is the completion of Scripture. When we begin, first of all, to recognize that Scripture has been fulfilled and completed in the person of Jesus, then we can say to people, you don't need to look anymore. You don't need to wait any longer. You don't have to sit and wonder if there's going to come something or someone that's going to make your life complete. Jesus is it. And notice in this passage of Scripture how Jesus' birth and His life and even the the people that are involved in this process are part of the completion of Scripture. Verse 1 tells us that in those days a decree went out from Caesar that all the world should be registered. And so each, the Bible says in verse 3, went to be registered in his own town. The Bible teaches us this, 
Not because it's an interesting fact, not because it's part of history, not because this is just a way to fill words on a page. No, this is all pointing to one particular passage of Scripture that Mark read just a few moments ago as we worshipped and sang, O little town of Bethlehem. Why Bethlehem? Why, of all the towns in, in Israel, why did Jesus need to be born in Bethlehem? Well, because of a wicked ruler, Caesar Augustus said, everybody's got to go to their own hometown to be registered and to be counted. And so, Mary and Joseph left Nazareth and went south to Bethlehem. Because the Bible says that David was in the line, or that Joseph was in the line of David. So he had to go to Bethlehem, his hometown, to be counted, and his family went with him. Because it was so close to the time that Mary was going to have Jesus, he brought her along and they went as a family in case it took longer than expected. And so as they got to that little town and settled in, they realized that it was time for Jesus to be born. And in this town, in this little out-of-the-way place called Bethlehem, there was a miraculous event that happened that was the fulfillment and the completion of Scripture that is in Micah chapter 5, verse 2 in the Old Testament that says, But you, Bethlehem Ephratah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be the ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. You see, it's not just a happy coincidence that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. It was to fulfill Scripture. God did not make Caesar Augustus do something. God did not make these other people do something against their will. Caesar Augustus said, I want everybody to go to their hometown. And Joseph said, okay. But this is the way God works. God has this eternal plan and has said from many centuries before that His Son the ruler of all of Israel would be born in this out-of-the-way place. And so the Bible goes on to say in verse 4 that Joseph went from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David to be registered with Mary his betrothed, who was with child. You know, the Bible teaches us much in the Old Testament about the birth of Jesus. And I was asked one time by someone who was a skeptic, someone who wasn't quite sure, is the Bible true? How can we trust the Bible? And I went to the Bible to prove that the Bible was true. And the skeptic said, that's not fair. You can't go to a book that I'm questioning to prove to me that the book is true. And I said to that particular skeptic, but this is the perfect place to prove that the Bible is true because if it's false and full of lies, it's easy to see. But if the Bible is true, then it will confirm itself over and over and over again. Friend, there are more prophecies about, the, about Jesus Christ and His birth and His life and His death and His resurrection There are so many prophecies that point to the person of Jesus Christ that the Bible proves over and over and over again that it is true and trustworthy. If you want to turn to Isaiah chapter 11, you can do so in the Old Testament or you can take my word for it. But Isaiah chapter 11 is one of the premier texts of of the Old Testament to teach us about the life and the birth 
of Jesus Christ. Isaiah chapter 11, beginning in verse 1, says, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, David's father. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The Spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The Spirit of counsel and of power. The Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw next to the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra and the young child put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the people. The nations will rally to him and his place of rest will be glorious. Every word of that passage of Scripture points to Jesus Christ. To his birth, to his life, to his ministry, and to his glorious second coming. Friend, there are countless passages of scripture in the old testament that just continue to tell us that when jesus came he fulfilled god's plan for all of eternity as charles spurgeon once said there is a red cord that runs through all of the old testament straight to the cross that red cord is the blood of jesus christ and there is a cord a song a message a fulfillment that runs straight to the cross of Jesus and right to the empty tomb that tells us all through the Old Testament, Jesus is God's one and only Son. And people ask you, why do you believe in Jesus? Why do you believe the Bible? Why do you believe in God? Why do you sing about Him? Because I know that I know that I know that God's one and only Son was born in a little town of Bethlehem. And that God had prophesied about it through many sources in the Old Testament. And this moment in time was the pinnacle of God's plan bringing light to pierce the darkness. This moment was the moment when Jesus Christ, God's one and only Son, had taken on flesh and entered into the world. And from this moment on, hope had come. He's just like the man who has been credited as building the Panama Canal. He had a lot of naysayers. He had a lot of critics. And people said he couldn't do it and he couldn't finish it. Some of the biggest issues that he faced were natural issues. Some geography issues. Mosquitoes were a big issue. People dying on the job was a big issue. But the one that really irritated him the most and irritated the workers were all of the people back in the United States and on other countries that said, it can't be done. You cannot possibly finish the Panama Canal. And finally, one of this man who was credited as finishing the canal and leading the work, finally one of his 
close associate said, when are you going to answer these people that keep telling you you can't finish it? He said, in time. And the man said, when? He said, when it's finished. Friend, God has spoken. And for centuries leading up to this moment in Bethlehem, people were saying, when, God? When are you going to fulfill these passages? When is the ruler going to come? When is the light going to invade the darkness? And God said, now. The moment that Jesus was born, a sinner like you and a sinner like me now has hope because God kept His Word. God said it would happen and it did happen. God said where it was going to happen and that's where it happened. God said this is how it's going to happen and that's exactly how it happened. And so when people ask you, why do you believe the Bible? Because God proves Himself over and over and over again. That's why we're here today. Because God has proved Himself trustworthy. Jesus is the completion of Scripture. But I want you to see second of all, Not only can we rest assured and talk about Jesus because He is the completion of Scripture, but we can also receive the complete Savior. We can talk about Jesus because we have received not a partial payment for our sins, not a sort of Savior, but a complete Savior, and Jesus Christ is it. Notice what the Bible says in verse 8. It says that in the same region, After Jesus had been born, the Bible says in verse 7 that Mary wrapped Him in swaddling clothes and laid Him in a manger. But in verse 8 it says, and in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. Can you just imagine these shepherds out there, these smelly men, smell like sheep. They look like homeless people. They don't smell very good. They don't look very good. They... They, they, they lay down at night with sheep and they cuddle up next to sheep. I mean, this is just not a pretty picture here of wholesome society. These guys were considered vagabonds. These guys were considered thieves. These guys were, were not the high-class society. And yet the Bible teaches us something important about shepherds. The Bible teaches us that when the angel showed up to sing about Jesus... The first people that they talked to were the worst of society. Oh, they didn't go to the temple. They didn't find the high priest. They didn't find people sitting in the lap of luxury in Jerusalem in the the premier city in Israel. No, they went to this out-of-the-way place called Bethlehem. And they went out where the smelly shepherds were. And they lit up the night sky telling the worst of society that the best of heaven had come. Aren't you thankful that God brings light to your darkness? Oh, I mean, certainly here we sit here and, you know, most of us look pretty good on Sunday morning and others could have tried a little harder, but, you know, we're here. I'll let you decide who that is. I'm kidding. I'm glad you're here. I've said that many, many times. But here we sit as, as, as pretty as we can, as cleaned up as we can be. We're sitting here in church and, and we've got this wonderful place to come and to worship and some of us feel like we deserve salvation. 
You know, God came to us because we deserved it. We earned it. We have a reputation. We have a great name. We have a long line of all these degrees and we've accomplished so much we deserve to be saved. But some of us in this room, and I certainly pray all of us in this room, are real enough with ourselves to say there is nothing worthy about me. There is nothing good that I can do that is good enough for God. There is nothing that I can accomplish. There is no degree on the wall. There is no amount of money in the bank. There is no worthy reputation that I can, that I can collect. And I can look God as perfectly holy in the face and say, God, I deserve what You have to give. Well, friend, in a way, in a very real way, we're all shepherds. We are all the worst of society. We are all those that have been cast out and have looked, been looked upon as the worst of society, and yet God brings light to your darkness. That is a complete Savior. Not one that picks and chooses and says, no, I'll save this person because they look nice. I'll save that person because they have enough money. I'll save that person because they have a great reputation. No, God sends His light to all the darkness. Verse 9, the angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Notice what it says, that will be for all the people. Friend, God is no respecter of persons, but boy, we sure can be. God brings light to the darkness. God brings His message to all the people. How many people do we bring the message to? How many times do we qualify what we do for someone based on what they could do for us? How many times do we qualify inviting somebody to church as long as they will fit in and won't stand out? You know, my honest prayer for our church is that every week somebody shows up who doesn't look like they belong. Somebody comes and they're just hungry for the Word of God. They're just desperate to be filled with the Spirit of God. They know that they're broken and they're looking for a family that will wrap their arms around them, smelly and all, and say, God loves you and I do too. That's what God has done for you. That's what makes us a family. And friend, every week we need to encounter people, not just in this sanctuary, but in your life and in your neighborhood and in your community that need to know the truth of God's Word. This joy that the angel is speaking of is to be for all the people. Because Paul said in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But he also said in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'm thankful to God that I am a whosoever. I'm thankful to God that I am a nobody who was saved by heaven somebody so that I could have my name in the Lamb's book of life. I don't deserve it, and friend, you don't either. There's no way in the world that we could clean ourselves up well enough to, to be able to stand before God and to demand salvation. The only hope is for us to be a smelly shepherd, to fall on our face with great fear before God and to tremble because of our sinfulness and to thank God that He pierced the darkness 
of our soul. That is a complete Savior. But the angel doesn't stop there. I love this next part. In verse 11, the angel says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. You want to know the shortest gospel message in all of the Bible? You just read it. The angel gave the shepherds the shortest gospel sermon when he said that Jesus is, notice what, it, what he says, there's three words there, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Jesus is Savior because He saves us from our sins. When the Bible uses the word Savior, it means that He stepped in our place and took the bullet that we deserve, took the punishment that we deserve, took the whip on the back that we deserve, the nails that went into His hands and into His feet are nails that we deserved. The punishment, the Bible teaches, that brought us peace was placed upon Him. Jesus saved you because He took your place. He saved you from the expense of your own sin by paying that debt for you. Then the Bible says He is Christ the Lord. When the Bible uses the word Christ, it literally means that He is the Messiah. Meaning that Jesus is the fulfillment of every Old Testament passage that these people have been waiting for. That Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Chosen One, the Anointed One. The One that every Jew in first century Judaism had been waiting to see born. And Jesus is it. He is the Christ. There's no need to look any further. There's no need to wait any longer. There's no need to wonder anymore. Jesus is that fulfillment. And then the angel says that He is Lord. He is Lord of lords. He is Lord over all. And I pray that Jesus is the Lord of your life. You see, when we confess in Jesus as our personal Savior and Lord, we recognize that Jesus stepped in our place and took our punishment. That in so doing, He fulfilled all of the Old Testament. All of the sacrifices, everything that went into satisfying our sin. And our response to that is this. That we receive that salvation from Him and we bow our knee to His Lordship and make Him first. Friend, that is the shortest Gospel message in all of the Bible that Jesus Christ is Savior who is Christ the Lord. My question to you today is very simple. Is Jesus Christ, God's one and only Son, is He the Savior and Lord of your life? Has He stepped out of heaven and stepped into your heart and pierced the darkness that you have? You see, the beauty of Jesus being born to a virgin is at that moment of conception, the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, overshadowed Mary. And enabled her to physically conceive the Son of God who left the glory of heaven, the Bible says, and took on flesh and God began to knit Him together in His mother's womb the same that He did with you. Only this Son is divine. That moment that Jesus was born, light came into the darkness and I pray that that has happened with you. Jesus is good news. For all the people. And the angel said, 
In verse 12, this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Now that is the oddest sign that the shepherds could have looked for. What? There's no throne. Uh, there's no palace. There's no royal carpet spread down some steps. And I, You mean I've got to go to a cattle stall? And find some kid wrapped up in cloths and laying where they feed? You mean I've got to go look for a baby that's just been born? And yet the question was never offered. Because the sign is unusual. These men knew not to go to the usual places. They didn't run to the palace. They didn't run to Jerusalem. They didn't run to go find colored carpet someplace. They ran to some out-of-the-way place to find this baby who was wrapped in swaddling cloth, lying in a manger, and they knew when they saw Him that He was King of kings and Lord of lords. People look at the person of Jesus and say, that's not what I expected all the time. People look at a cross and they'll say, that's not the sign of a king. Friend, that's the sign of a Savior. Who when you accept Him as your personal Savior and Lord, that cross becomes a place where you die to you and you live again with Him. Yes, the sign is unusual, but the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Some of you have a nativity set in your home. And everything points to the baby lying in the manger, wrapped up in cloths. Everybody's looking at Him. Everybody is in awe of Him. Everybody has their knee bowed and they're just in awe of the person of Jesus Christ. Why? Because that thought might be foolishness to people that are dying, but to those of us who have been born again, that is the power of God. And that's why the angels concluded. The Bible says that with that angel there was a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. Friend, has God brought peace to you? Jesus was born 2,000 years ago. He took on flesh and led a life of ministry and of helping others teaching and sharing the Word of God, but then ultimately was betrayed and was placed on a Roman cross and died. He was taken down off that cross and placed in a borrowed tomb and three days later walked out of that tomb to show you and to show me that there is hope beyond sin and that there is hope beyond selfishness, that there is hope beyond this life. As Jesus stepped into your life, and brought peace to you. And I enjoy reading all kinds of strange stories of weird things that people do. It makes me feel normal all the time. A Russian television program aired a state-of-the-art, just this last Tuesday, a state-of-the-art robot. They called him Boris the Robot. You can't make this stuff up. But in this city that I can't pronounce in Russia, they brought this 
robot in, this Boris the robot, and, and he had all these lights on him, and he had all of these little gizmos on him, and they brought him in to wow the audience and to show all of those on television that Russian technology was supreme. They put on a song, and Boris the robot danced to this pop song. And they filmed it live, and people were just in awe and just amazed at the technology of Boris the robot. But just a few days later, they discovered that it really wasn't a robot. It was actually a man dressed up in a robot costume, and they pulled the wool over all of Russia's eyes for a few days. Yes, the man in the robot costume was just a guy doing a dumb dance to a song to make people think that he was the real deal. I can tell you, based on the authority of the Word of God, Jesus is the real deal. He is not just some person that God said, yeah, I'll use Him. He was not just a great teacher. He was not a martyr for His beliefs. He was not just some guy that God called His Son and used His life as some kind of a backdrop to start a religion. Jesus Christ was God's one and only Son who existed before time began. That in a certain moment in time stepped out of heaven and through the power of the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary and caused her to conceive in her virgin womb this baby who would form and be knit together by God's own hands and that the appointed time in Bethlehem would be born as Christ, the Savior and Lord for us all. And Jesus is the real deal. He is the complete Savior. My question to you is, are you simply wearing the suit on the outside and dead on the inside? Are you going through the motions that everybody else is going through? Saying the words everybody else is saying on the outside? Sitting in the church and enduring a sermon and standing and praying and all of these things, but on the inside you know that you're still the same person you've always been. If that's true, then take off the mask. Take off the costume. And come to Jesus as a broken good-for-nothing. And fall before His feet and He will love you and pour His grace upon you. And Christ, who was born in Bethlehem, will save you from your sin. And you will be the real deal. And not artificial intelligence. If you've never made that decision before, today is the day to do that. But friend, listen to me closely. If you know people, friends, family members, neighbors, people in this community that have a great reputation, people in this community that have no reputation, if you know people that have never been born again, don't let them live a lie one more second. Take the message of hope and truth to them and invite them to give their life to Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, as we come to You during this time of prayer, in response to You and to Your Word, God, we know that there is no person in this place 
no person in this community and no person in any community who deserves the salvation based on what they have done for you that Jesus has provided. God, none of us deserve to be born again, but all of us are in desperate need to be made new. God, during this time of response, we ask that Your Holy Spirit would draw us closer to Jesus. And God, if there is just one person in this place who has never truly been born again, one person who has never genuinely bowed their knee to the Lordship of Jesus and trusted in Him, God, may today be the day of salvation for them. But Father, as the born-again believers that are here in response to this message, I pray, God, that they would be compelled to take the truth that has been planted in their heart and has transformed their life and take it to every person in our community. God, so that they might know the reason why we celebrate Christmas is all because of Jesus. God, may this be a time when we truly respond to You and to Your Holy Spirit, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.